So we're going to hear, we are recording. Give me one second. Let me to drink a sip of this and we will get started. Hmm. I'll join you, sir. I don't know. I really love the parts of, too? what do you got, Brian? Of course I'm drinking. I'm drinking a hot potty. Oh, what? some whiskey in there. Is that what's in it? Yes. Yeah, some whiskey and tea. Hell yeah. Whiskey and tea. That's a good one when you're sick. That's, that's the word. I think that's what they're meant for. Uh, yeah, maybe. Kevin's not a big tea drinker, but <laughs> I, drink, I drink tea. Okay. Hot whiskey. What's that? Setup. Combat base. It's a refrigerator. Wow. What's in there? <laughs> you got anything you can pop out? So I got that. You see it? Yeah, talk. So it's, uh, oh, you know what? I bet if I click, if I click it, I wonder if it'll bring you up as the main video. No, what, what? Yeah, right now it shows Brian. I don't know how to do that. I need to figure out how to change the, uh, the people live. Um, this is, uh, this bourbon that's made here in in Rockville, Maryland. We're seeing it. Yeah. 1812. Uh, I got that a couple weekends ago. I had to go somewhere with my wife and then I got an apple cinnamon one. Oh, this is, this is the stuff I want you guys to try right here. This right here. This tastes good with everything. It tastes like if you like butterscotch, it tastes my wife likes it and she Bubba's. doesn't drink a lot. Bubba's. Yep. Bubba's okay. Secret stills. Mm. And then I just got a couple small coronas in here. Some coronas and this is my wife's wine and stuff. Yeah. We could just do a whiskey drinking podcast. I think we would just we would be well equipped to do a whiskey <laughs> drinking podcast. Oh no doubt. <laughs> so I'm gonna um, drink a little of this. I ha- what do you got? Oh, you're going to drink a little bit of the bubbles. Yeah, there we go. just a little bit of larceny before this. Larceny is not the nicest whiskey, but it goes down easy and it's uh, a little strong. I like that. I like high percentage whiskey. Um, Brian, what's your favorite whiskey? Uh, I'm going to probably go with the uh, Woodford Reserve right now. That's been going to treat me well. Nice. Either Woodford Reserve or there's uh, this Jefferson small batch stuff. Yeah. Both of them are good. Yeah. But yeah, you're absolutely right. We got to do a whiskey podcast. Yeah, I yeah, exactly. And then we just all just taste our own every every 10 minutes on the minute, you know, we got to do another shot or something. Or or just basically like we can meet up, have a couple different ones, put them into different bottles, send everybody home with it and boom. Yes. Yeah, some for the road. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, uh, so everybody home will sit down and take shots and basically be like, all right, let's take uh, this one now. Let's go. What do we got? <laughs> yeah. Uh, are we recording this right now? We are recording right now. But this oh, is quality man, right here. I actually like, so before I introduce, I'll say uh, I love the parts of a podcast that are like the behind the scenes sort of stuff or like the not as official parts of recording. Like for instance, like the phone just vibrated. I like that kind of stuff in a podcast. Sometimes when people over edit and they cut out every little thing, I like the lulls. Like in the last one, there was a pee break and I really like that sort of stuff. I <laughs> thought that was the best part of the podcast. Yeah. I was laughing my ass <laughs> off. I was listening to it driving home last night. Yo, Sean Dockery, it's fucking crazy as shit. I love that podcast. <laughs> He's nuts, dude. I love it. That guy is so awesome. <sighs> I, uh, I wish you guys would have went more into like freaking Lions Den, man. I really wanted to hear like he spent time in there and like you know yeah. he's got stories. Oh yeah. 
Oh yeah, man. Well, I mean, his main takeaway, something he didn't touch on in this last podcast, and I'm not saying this is Lion's Den specific, so don't take this the wrong way, people. But he was like, look, you people don't understand. You'll demonize or, or criminalize somebody like Lloyd, which of course makes sense, but you don't understand how many of your idols are like rapists and terrible people. And he just goes in about like a lot of these people are not who you think they are. Now he didn't say that lion's den specific, but when he's on grappling central, he's like a lot of your heroes, they've raped women, dude. They're not all good people. Um, for those of you who don't know, I have, I'm going to get trying to adjust my camera here to get tilted down. Oh, there we go. Um, I've got Kevin Bachman and Brian wonder, we are the uh, the three main savages at the gym, savages with a five because we train at five in the morning. Um, I want to say, Sean Edwards, you're wearing the state line canine thing. I think it's unfair to not mention that Sean is actually an original, even though he hasn't been able to like make it as frequently. He is an original savage. He's got to be on this podcast. It has oh, to yeah. happen. Absolutely. 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 But it just made sense that us three – do one to kind of like break the ice there. Um, and, and it just, it worked out. I was looking for a guest today because this weekend my mom's coming to town and uh, I was, you know, I hit up you guys and it worked out. It worked out beautifully. So we, we train at 5. AM this started, you know, I was thinking about it. We've hit the over the one year mark of, of regular. We probably started three days a week sometime around a year ago. It's probably pretty close. So, yeah, Off the bat, something I, I do want to get into a little bit of uh, history, but before we do that, I would love to just reflect on what this 5 a.m. training, I was thinking about it today, like, I'll kind of start off. I know for a fact I am a more disciplined, more focused, almost like a monk, dude, like I'm sacrificing things I never thought I would have sacrificing or sacrificed for jujitsu. Like, like I've, I've, I haven't been going out on as many like meaningless dates or stringing out things with girls that, that aren't as impactful and important to me because of how much I love getting up early and going to the gym. Um, I definitely consider, certain decisions for my health more, you know, your, your sleep, your recovery. And, and it just makes me appreciate my training more. I maximize my time more and more. Is there anything you notice reflecting this past year, other than just, it's probably the most we've ever trained jujitsu. Um, uh, Brian, start off uh, here. Uh, um, honestly, really, I think, uh... To me, it's, it was just working with the time that you got and uh, being in retail and being in the, in the industry that I'm in, like nights don't always work for me because I get called in to, to stay late or do something. And honestly, the only way to really like make that a, a, a straight commitment, one th way to do thing was to start early. Uh, I mean, get at 5 a.m. That means that to your point, instead of training one or two days a week at jujitsu, I can consistently get a good four or five days a week of training in and uh, still get to work on time, uh, not piss my wife off because to your point with the, the, the dating scene and things like that, uh, going in at night and everything like that, my wife at points was like, man, you're, I, I never see you because you're either at work or you're at the gym. And it's kind of helped me to balance out my life a whole lot more in terms of being able to do 
jujitsu, what I love, uh, being able to bust my ass at work because I think the three of us, we all have physical ass jobs. Uh, and, and, and to, uh, balance in family life, um, to make sure that like, I got all three going at once sleep that'll come in time, but you know, whatever, <laughs> that's what that to me, the, the training aspect has been great because of that. So that's, that's why I really like that early morning. I hate it when it's happening, but I love it when we're going for it. Amen. Kevin. So I think I've always been a pretty disciplined person, but when we started doing this, I was like, I have to be extra disciplined. So I get my stuff. I already have my stuff together for tomorrow and that kind of thing. You know, it was, I've always woke up early to work out and things, but it's a lot different coming down here to my garage and driving across town to the gym. You know what I mean? The other thing I like about it is we kind of get in and get out. That's another good thing. And, and just like Brian said, I, uh, you know, I can be on call at night sometimes, so I would miss training those nights. Plus, right. I have a daughter who's eight, so when she has a concert or something, I won't be able to come in at night. So if we come in in the morning, get it out of the way, I'm done with my training. And it's added, like, I don't know, when I was training, I've been taking Mondays off, but I usually didn't. I was, I think I had, like, eight to 12 sessions a week, depending on what was going on. So I, I trained, I've been training jiu-jitsu for 14 years, and I'm training now more than I ever have. Right. Right. I got, I got, that's people from work texting me. I got to, you're good. I got to turn that off. Somehow. You would be the one with technical <laughs> difficulties. I listen to this lifting <laughs> podcast and, and the, the, the oldest guy of the group, his phone is always doing stuff. So uh, it it's, makes sense. This guy's asking questions about jobs and I'm like, yeah, all nights, you know, <laughs> so we're good. Yeah. Now. I, I have it. I have it cut off. So we should be good. Cool. No, it's good either way. I think it's funny. What do you think about training at 5 a.m.? I'll Oh, I'll tell you the biggest thing for me is just like you said, you said, yeah, I mean, you, you, you get it all done. I, I go straight from there to work. It works out perfectly with my schedule. And if for whatever reason, I don't have to go right into work, I'm at the gym. I can, I can lift, you know, whenever I go in later to work, that means I just do my lifting. So I've all in one clip, I've gone, got my training in for the day I've lifted I, I work, I get home, I'm done for the day if I want to be. Today, I stop by the grocery store on the way home and I'm not leaving the house. That is so not the way things used to be for me. I always right. was having two chunks of my day and that just drains you. And it's all this wasted time, wasted travel. And, and it opened up, all, like I did almost a yoga class for every day of the week in a two month period. Um, in October and September. Right. And it's like, I have all this free time now, you know, for a few months before that I was going to the other gym. I joined the planet fitness a minute from my house just to get a little bit extra work in. And it's, I can do all that feasibly. I'm not getting the gym early to wait. And this is nothing against our gym. Every gym does it where, you know, you get to the gym early, then you're waiting around where the class is going on before you don't want to be a nuisance. And then by the time you're warmed up, you stick around, you stay after class, you know, you get, I eat at the end of the day. So it's a lot to like come back in for a second shift. Yeah. And yeah, there's a lot of things to it, man. But ultimately getting that part of my day done and home is amazing. And then just the discipline of being somebody that's willing to get up early is the top of my head cut off. I feel like my thing keeps shifting yeah. down. What in the yeah, hell? It is. Now all I see is your ceiling. I know <laughs> I I'm gonna, I lowered it, but we'll see what happens. I don't know why it's doing that. So if my video there, there is there's a spider on your wall back here. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so let's do this though. And uh, I guess I'll, I'll do this uh, too. Um, but, but I'll have you guys start it off because I don't, I haven't really introduced all this kind of stuff either. One of the questions we got, which is an obvious question, you know, is like, um, not like making fun of the person who asked it, but it's obvious as in it's important to cover is just go over what got you into it, how long you've been doing it, where you're at, uh, martial arts wise. I know Brian, you actually had a traditional martial arts background, um, before jujitsu. So let's just hear about Whatever you really want to say, the floor is yours. Brian, go ahead. Uh, well, I, I honestly, I'm going to be <laughs> – I was thinking about this because I thought this question might come up. And the God's honest truth is fucking Wu-Tang Clan got me into martial arts. I remember – and it's, it's, it's clutch to be on this podcast because especially with you know, your title and, and kind of where you base a lot of this stuff in. But, man, I remember 12 years old, smoking my first fucking bong up in a buddy's house. There's like 12 of us in there. And we're listening to Enter the Wu-Tang. And I'm like, this is the baddest shit on the planet. <laughs> Holy fuck, they're talking about Kung Fu. Kung Fu's got to be the shit. And then from that point on, I was looking for a fucking Kung Fu school. Uh, I ended up getting into one, a guy that um, was straight from Taiwan, uh, had a bunch of different systems that he kind of uh, learned and, and taught. And, man, I was fucking hooked. That was it. Martial arts was the shit. Here's the scene of it all is I started jujitsu first before anything else. Um, probably when I was like 14 or 15 years old, so three years after my fucking Wu-Tang Clan epiphany that I want to fucking do Kung Fu and find it anywhere, I get into a jiu-jitsu school. And I'm there for like nine months. I'm the youngest kid coming in. There's a total of three people there learning under this blue belt. Uh, this is back in like 97, wow. 96. So these like a blue belt on the East Coast was insane to find. And I'm learning this shit and I'm like, yeah, this is pretty cool. And uh, I liked it, but it wasn't fucking Kung Fu. I had fucking been brainwashed into this fucking mindset from watching movies and listening to, <laughs> and listening to the music that Kung Fu is the shit. And the minute I got the ability to go to a fucking Kung Fu gym, 16 years old, I got a driver's license. I was able to start driving up to this place. Done with jujitsu, fucking started doing that. I did that for a while. Um, probably a good six, seven years of training that. And uh, I loved every minute of it. If you ask me, a lot of like my exercise and stretching and things like that, in terms of conditioning your body, I love that. It, it's, it's like a faster paced moving yoga, which is why I don't even do yoga or subscribe to it. To me, like that old school traditional Kung Fu has some pretty good value in terms of the stretching the flexibility, and just the main uh, conditioning of your body. Not all of it, but good portions of it does, too. Um, and then from there, I turned into a piece of shit when I was about 30, 21 years old. Just got into, like, drinking, uh, smoking cigarettes and shit like that at the time. And, and that was my life for, like, 10 years was, like, work, going out to the bar, smoking cigarettes, just not in shape, not doing anything at all. And then... Uh, I'm driving home from work one day and 
I pull up at a Chick-fil-A and I look back and I see martial arts on the back of a building and I go, fuck, that, that's a martial arts gym. I, I want to get back into that stuff. I got to start working out again. And, and I'm just not, I haven't been me for a while. So I start my first class and it's, it, this is method. Um, I'm, I'm at the gym and, and I'm doing my first jujitsu class in like 10, 15, 20 years. And I'm like, you know what? I still got some pretty good condition from the Kung Fu and all that stuff. I'm going to be all right. I'm going to show off up in here a little bit and, and do things. And um, the other fuck that's on this podcast lays across me in a crucifix and just starts saying, oh, if you were going to be in a fight, you'd be in problems, having problems right here and start smacking me in the head, playing me with like a, like a fucking cat plays with a mouse. And I'm like, son of a bitch. If I was not a fight, I would be having some problems right now. I need to start fucking taking this shit more seriously. And from that point, that was it. I was 100% hooked. The minute I had somebody on top of me and I didn't have a fucking answer for it, I didn't even have the ability to move. I literally felt like I was being just basically stapled to the ground. And I'm like, I want to be able to do this to motherfuckers. It's just as simple as that. If it works on Kung Fu, it works on anything. If it works on, you know, if, it, if it beat the Wu-Tang clan, it's fucking kicking the shit out of everything else. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it. That's where yeah. I'm at. And you guys know the story from there because you yeah. guys have been part of it. Yep. Yeah, and now uh, for those who don't know, Brian's a, a brown belt. Um, I'm currently a purple belt and uh, let's turn it over to the black belt, the, the evil leader. <laughs> I've been watching the ultimate fighter. I'm obsessed with the ultimate fighter. Whenever I finish the season, I find whatever season I haven't watched in the longest. And I started again. Okay. I'm the only person in the world that watches the ultimate fighter. Like I do. I'm just obsessed. Okay. And right now I'm watching Chael Sonnen versus John Jones and Chael Sonnen that was a good one. calling himself like the dark side. And, and Chael Sonnen <laughs> in ways reminds me of like, he's a little bit more like, like he's a mixture of, of all of us in a way, but uh, I love like this. He's like a good noble guy, but he's also the dark side. And that's what we say <laughs> before we turn it over to Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so for me, I was an athlete my whole life. Um, and my first experience with jujitsu, I watched like UFC four, me and my brother rented it. And this was years ago before there was internet or anything. I wanted to take it, but I didn't really know where to look. So I, uh, I kind of forgot about it. Um, I played baseball, football. Basically I was a jock. If I didn't, if I wasn't, if I wasn't playing one of those sports, like on a league or something, then I was playing basketball or lifting weights um, pretty much my whole life. So fast forward, I get married, meet my wife. And I'm looking in the mirror one day and I see my gut and I'm like, this is not who I am. You know what I mean? I, I looked at my wife and I said, this isn't the person I am. And I think maybe a little bit afterwards, a pay-per-view commercial came up and it was the UFC. And I remember thinking to myself, man, they're still doing that. And I remembered jujitsu. So I, I searched it because now the internet was a thing. So I searched it and I found the nearest place to my house. I walked in, saw Eddie. He was the first person I met. I think I met Michelle right after that. They actually didn't even own the school yet. I think I said, I want to sign up. I didn't even take a class. My next time, I came back the next day. I rolled right away. And the minute I stepped on, you know, I've heard some other podcasts say, what was your feeling the first time you stepped on the mat? When I stepped on the mat, 
I just felt like I was home. And, and I've been there ever since. You know, and speaking of Brian with Kung Fu, a long time ago, Pat Militis used to have a shirt when um, he had all of his guys fighting for him. And he said on the back of it, your Kung Fu is no good here. Oh, just to let him know that. <laughs> oh, man, yeah, you let me know that when I was pinned to that fucking mess. Right, man. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm like, oh, your kung fu's no good. He slapped me in the face ten times. <laughs> you know, when when I fought, that was like my main thing to try to get people in the top crucifix, and I would do the same thing when I would spar because it's such a hard position to get out of. You know what I mean? Like you're stuck. I asked Eric Paulson about that years ago. I was like, how do you escape this position? He goes, ooh, that's hard. Yeah, and he didn't really have an answer. He's like, you got to try to bridge, but getting out of it, especially when punches are involved, oh. is really difficult. You had four so, MMA fights, right? I had four amateur MMA fights. Yep. Mm. We'll get and, into. And that. my my goal was never to fight. When I walked into the gym, I just I just wanted to lose weight. That was it. I never planned on competing or any of that. It was just exercise, and I knew because I wrestled for like two years. Nothing major. It was just erecting. And uh, I knew how much, you know, how good of exercise that was and how tough it is. And then, you know, as I started coaching and teaching, I was like, man, I should, I should really, I don't want to look back on my life and say, I should have did that. Yeah. So that's why I decided to fight. It had nothing to do about, I probably could have went further with it, but that was never really my goal. Um, once I competed in jujitsu, that was, you know, I, I'm always going to compete as long as I can. You know what I mean? That's my goal anyway. How far in was your first competition? I, I trained for a year. Okay. Around a year, maybe, maybe nine months. I, I don't know the exact timeline, but about a year. I went to my, uh, so my jujitsu competition, I went to my first competition. I beat the first guy like 26 to nothing. And I was so gassed out in my next match. I had the guy in all these submissions and he got out of every one of them and he beat me on points. Mm. So I, I learned that was my very first tournament. It was Naga World's. It was so packed. It was arm to arm. It was at Rutgers College. And I remember nice. thinking, this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> because there was nowhere to warm up. There was nowhere to do that. Anything. I was in great shape then. And I was like, I mean, it was elbow to elbow. That's how packed it was. People would have traveled to that event back then. I mean, it, even when I first yes. started the big Naga events, Battle at the Beach and Naga Worlds, a lot mm -hmm. of people traveled to those events because there was a time where like, Naga was the thing outside of IBJJF. Yes. Like that was pretty 100%. much even even you know. IBJJF wasn't that big because they didn't have all the locations like they do now. Okay, like you pretty much had to compete in that in California, and that was it. Right. And, and back then, I don't think you had to have paperwork signed. But I remember, I remember being at a Naga, and the guy that runs New Breed was there selling merchandise. Wow. And he told me he said he goes, "We're going to start a grappling organization." And he did like a year later, he had it started. I remember when the good fight tournament started because they weren't a thing. Like, like you said, there was, there was grappling, uh, what it was called grapplers quest mm -hmm. and they weren't Naga had tournaments all the time. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think they have even more now, but there was none in Maryland. You know, I think when I started, there was like, I don't even think there was a black belt in Maryland if I remember correctly. Mm. So yeah, there was that guy in Magilla. McGilla had some yes, people and like Lloyd yeah. Irvin related stuff, but, but, Ju but Julius wasn't a black belt. He was a brown belt. He owns yeah. uh, crazy 88. And a lot of those guys, uh, you know, 
Is that working? Yeah. uh, I don't know why this thing says that, but it's good. We got a stupid, a gift from Zoom running out of time. We've removed (laughs) a 40 minute timeline. I we're good though. Either way. I don't know why I said that, but we're good. What were were we talking? Okay. Oh, so yeah. yeah, So there was only them and McGill was too far away anyway. So I think Lee at the time owned Baltimore BJ. He was a purple belt. If I remember. Okay. Um, So yeah, I mean, and it's funny, this goes to show you what I've always loved about this. So like, I mean, I was involved in powerlifting before jujitsu It has same kind of like team camaraderie. And you're so mm-hmm. focused on what you're doing and the training when you take it seriously. Like when I was training with for powerlifting, I wasn't the best, but I was training to compete at fucking nationals, dude. I was treating training alongside guys who won, qualified for worlds, qualified and won the Arnold's. Like I was around like people who lived and breathed powerlifting and or weightlifting and or even strongman. And it's like, you take it as seriously as you would even more seriously, because there's maturity about adults doing it, who are sacrificing. They don't have to do it. It's not their college ride. It's not like kind of like an escape from like, you know, pushing off growing up. Like these are people that have adulted, have families, all this, and they're still finding like you two, especially it's like, you have your career, you have a family and you still are driven. That's a different type of drive that most even high level college athletes do not have. Um, you know, so, so for me, I mean, growing up, I was big into WWF and wrestling. I always thought fighting was cool. Fighting was cool. All the guys on my dad's side of the family are just good at fighting. You know, my, my papa, his father was a drill instructor and they would just make comments about, boy, you don't want to piss a turpin boy off. You know, you don't want to be on the other side of this fist when it starts flying. It was just, that was the normal type of talk. And then on, on his mom's side, they were all crazy native American coal miners who, if they hadn't beat everybody up in town, they might've stabbed them. I'm not even kidding, dude. You know, and my my dad was raised wild. He was an athlete. He was like the king of all jocks. He was the best at any sport he ever wanted to be good at. And, and I came from that. And my brother older than me was a, was a good athlete, good at baseball. Um, pretty good at basketball, got into other stuff too, but, but we, we grew up athletic and I always thought fighting was cool. I had a brother who could kick anybody's ass dude from a young age. He was pulling people off the jungle gym and fighting three kids at the same time. One time he stuck up for me at a party and he like took on 12 kids all at once. Like my, I am the least likely person to be good at fighting in my family, but I always was around it. I grew up adoring people like Clint Eastwood, Paul New. Newman, Steve McQueen, just guys, guys, I thought it's the coolest. And I wasn't particularly great at it. I I wanted exciting moments. I liked the idea of fighting and I invited it, but I never really hung tough in a fight as a kid. I either hit people and it was over or like, it it was never like you hung tough in like a five minute fight. Like I just never had that mentality. I sucked at football and there was this little bit of insecurity, like, you know, I'm a big, strong guy. People expect me to be good at fighting. But in the back of my mind, I remember that time in seventh grade, you know, this small little kid who had a, a, an old man who beat him up, punched me in the mouth a few times. And, and he was tougher than me. Like, I, I remembered not being good at this thing I loved and adored. 
So I was getting into the sp sports from like, you know, I, I did uh, drama related stuff, performance, like art type stuff um, with, with the slam poetry and, and stand up comedy. And I had this, this po MMA podcast from being a comedian. And I had a co-host who trained at ground control. And I interviewed a couple guys from method. I went to school with Eddie. So uh, Eddie, the owner of method. And, uh, I hung around the gym a couple times. I came and I trained with Mike Ferrante and LaCarlo Beatty and, uh, rolled them having no experience. And I, I really liked it, but here's, what's funny. I never loved jujitsu. Like my favorite fighters were Anderson Silva. Um, I, I liked the way like Randy Couture was as like a, a guy, but I mean, it was always cool. These people who could knock people out Fedor. Um, I liked jujitsu. I liked people who were finishers, but I never saw myself as that person. But once I got to the MMA gym training for fights, it was just obvious jujitsu was more fun to practice for me. I love fighting. And when push comes to shove, I want to punch a motherfucker in the mouth, dude. I don't want to do this jujitsu shit to somebody who pisses me off. I'm being honest. I want to hit somebody. It's like, I love the idea of clocking somebody, but a, if you're going to fight, you need to be good at grappling. You have to be good at grappling and B I don't like getting hit in training. I don't like, I don't like hard sparring with friends very much. I don't look forward to it. There's nothing about jujitsu that is like tough for me. I know that sounds crazy, but I just, I enjoy it. It sucks to get out of breath. It sucks to like go against somebody, I guess who can smash you, but it never really like, it never really demore. I just am naturally, that's my type of physical sport. I think even like when you get more towards wrestling, it kind of intimidates me in a way that maybe football did. It's a bit quicker pace. Um, I was scared of the ball in baseball, like getting hit by a pitch used to make me kind of anxious when I went against a fast pitcher. So there's just something about striking and getting hit that I've got to be in the regular scheme of it to want to go there. Long story short, jujitsu just, came naturally to me. And after a couple breakups, you just put your all into this thing. And eventually I found a way to fall in love with it. I think it was through listening to podcasts. I started listening to jujitsu podcasts and I started just taking it more and more seriously. You know, I, I start, I remember I choked my first, I, I beat my first black belt in competition. V video went viral, choked, uh, choked, choked him in his school <laughs> guard, all that, you know, the history of that. And I'm like, man, you know, like, if I fall in love with this sport, I might really get good at it. I might really be passionate about it. And yeah, I'd say over the past few years, I fell more and more in love. I mean, it's all a big piece. Having this account is a big accountability thing for me. You know, I am that type of person. Like I like the idea of living a life that would be like a movie or a book I would want to read. You know, I, I, I like, I like having a very interesting and seeing walking the walk of things that fascinate me. So it's almost like a pursuit of like acting, not, not on the screen, but in my life, like I wasn't naturally the quintessential grappler or whatever, but I like the idea of playing out these roles in my life that I get to experience. So that kind of catches you up to where I'm at and, and like Kevin and, and wonder competes, you know, a, a good bit and, and more and more um, I can tell you're very interested in, in the competition side, but like, I'm, I'm definitely like Kevin in that, like, I don't know about you wonder, you probably agree, but 
I, I see myself competing for as long as I physically can. What do you oh, think I mean, competing as one? far as like competing goes, I want to be able to do I, look. I, I mean, we're going to keep saying names that people might not necessarily know on this podcast, but I mean, you can look them up. I, I, I want to be Mike Atkins, man. Yeah. I want to be in my 60s and still throwing it down. I, and because look, it, it takes something to be that, it takes something to be there. And, and I know a lot of people discount like people who have hit masters worlds and things like that. But the reality is, is like, yeah, they're not masters worlds. Those guys aren't, aren't your top tier athlete. It's not your father times undefeated, but to me, every time I train, and I think I've said this in the past, like to me, that's my opponent, like father time is it. And that motherfucker's undefeated. Uh, I want to be able to do shit as long as I possibly can. Uh, I want to crash this ship into the ground and athletically I want to be able to do stuff into a, a very old age, which is possible as long as you keep up with it. I think there's plenty of examples out there. Are you going to get hurt? Or are you going to get banged up? Yeah. You're going to get hurt, banged up in anything that you do. But I mean, it, sitting around is just not for me. I got to at least, at least continue to train. And if I'm going to train, the way I see it, like part of the training is, is testing that training against somebody else who's doing the same training as you. Mm -hmm. So are you training against another, are you tra out training somebody who's uh, still putting in work at your age and at your weight level and all that stuff? Are you still doing the same things and able to keep up with the best at that? I, to me, like it, that's my goal is to at least stay up with that. Then to crush as many 20 year olds as I possibly can. Fuck those yes. little bastards. <laughs> give, give those me, little bastards make yeah. them hate their lives and make them wish that they were in their like mid late 30s early 40s and be like damn i can't wait to get that good one day yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I, I i remember do you remember when when we had the couple uh wrestlers uh come in and I was grappling him, Kevin, you were there that day. And the yeah, one was like, a, uh, he wasn't a, he was, he wrestled at, at state. It was a second at, at the States wrestler yeah. grappling him and grabbing a hold of him and his buddies over there. Come on, do your moves. I said, what moves? He goes, Hey, he's a state champ, brother. He didn't say, I don't know what he said. He might've said state champ, but he actually, I think was the second place. And I said, a state champ at what? He goes, High school wrestling. I said, he said, uh, or I go, uh, high school, I'm a grown ass man. And I just yeah. started shucking his ass around. Yeah. <laughs> I do remember that. I do. I love it. I love getting a hold of young bucks. And I mean, I'm not old, but I mean, I think some, some people who are 20 might think once you're over 30, uh, you know, that they're used to the norm. I mean, Brian, you're what, 39? Kevin, are you 43? Yeah. I'm 43. Yeah. But I think a lot of that mindset too. It is. I plan yeah, on making a, a meme one day, a, a picture of just being on top, me being on top of some freaking athletic 20 year old and basically saying like, you know, it's like every freaking midlife crisis to get on top of some midlife 20 year old. I think I might be doing it wrong type deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in, the years, in the years I've been at the gym, I don't know how many young people have came in and they're like 15 and they're said, I think I started too late. I, I, I just don't get that. I've heard that yeah. from 18 year old kids. I've heard it from 12 year olds. And I'm like, you're not even started yet. You're, you're still a kid. And 
they already have that mindset of it's too late for them. I, I don't get that. Yeah. Let, I've seen that. I've heard that and seen that a lot. Let, let's even it's just unreal, go around actually. just so people understand the context. Like I'll, I'll start off with some injuries I had just before I ever even did jujitsu. Like there were years of my life from powerlifting where I had trained through injuries and did anything I could do to get under the bar. Like I had mornings I couldn't walk for three hours. I had to figure out a way to get my shoes on. It was so excruciating to drive in my car seat. I remember when more than a five minute car ride would be the death of me. I, I was so messed up for so many years of my life. All I wanted to do was get to that bar and figure out how to pick it up. I was going to deadlift 550 that day, and I didn't give a shit if I was injured. And I did that to my body. And so many people would have said, no way could I do this shit. No way. And I was still unworking a lot of that my first year or two. I still had the some of the lingering chronic injuries. And I only feel more healthy as I work through this stuff, as I find healthier ways, as you become wiser. I mean, every, every I could be way more specific than that. I mean, all the stuff that's happened used to be 340 pounds. Kevin used to be heavier as well. It's like, it's so easy to look at the reasons why you wouldn't be able to do it and you get new people in and they think every little thing is career ending and every little thing. Well, I played football. Well, I did this. It's, uh, you don't even know. You don't even know. And, and you mentioned Mike Atkin. I mean, the guy's 67 years old. Okay. 67. He wrestled since like he was a boy. Okay. Golden gloves, boxer military was the baddest bouncer in, in a mean biker bar area. I mean, just the, the guy has, has been through a lot and he doesn't make any damned excuses and he's out there and he wants you to give it your all and he's going to give it his all. And he finds a way and like Brian recovered from a pretty serious, uh, you know, injury surgery. Uh, Kevin's had at least a surgery since I've been at the gym. I try not to go to the doctor, but I'm sure I'll have something eventually, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't so, know what's so before, wrong with me, but go so ahead. Before we go, go into that, you said something about toughness. Do, do you remember what you said to me a long time ago? You have to be, I don't know. So you came up to me and you said, I'm just not tough. Do you remember that? I remember thinking that. I, I don't remember. It sounds like something I would have said. Do you remember <laughs> yeah. what I said back to you? What's that? I said, toughness is a learned attribute. You okay. Tough. I remember. And all yes. the stuff you're talking about right now with you getting up and getting under the bar, that's all toughness. Right. I think toughness, a lot of people will say, I'm not tough enough. I don't believe in that. But toughness is something you learn over time, in my yeah. opinion. And I, I see, I see that excuse a lot too. I'm just not tough enough. I, I don't even really know what that means. You know what I mean? Cause a lot of people give me that excuse too. I, you guys both know me. I'm not big on excuses. <laughs> I, I, I've always been like that. Um, I don't know why exactly, but I just, you know, it's like I heard the other day, well, I got to go to work tomorrow. And I was like, well, so I do too, motherfucker. I'm here. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like, I, I don't know. We need to balance that, but I think that toughness is just something I think you've gotten way more tough in the time right. that I've known you. Now, what, what was you, what did you say the other day about Mike? We said something about excuses and finding reasons. Not, do you remember what you said on that? Yes. I, well, you were like, what I posted on Instagram. Yeah. Remind me what you said on that. So I said that, 
you know, a lot of people in jujitsu talk about ego and this and that. And I said, if you get your excuses in check, your ego will just fall in line. Because a lot of times, in my opinion, over the time that I've been, I, a lot of, you know, you change over time. And the more you do this, you, that happens. And I think that a lot of time our ego is like, you know, like what we do in the morning with the escapes. A lot of gyms don't do that, right? It's going to be really tough if I let you mount me and I try to escape, right? But if I haven't, so there's ego-driven people and there's process-driven people. I'm a process person. So an ego-driven person is going to come in and they want to beat everybody in the room. Right. Usually when shit starts going wrong, they're the people that lose their shit. You think Conor McGregor, John Jones. The thing is with ego-driven people is they usually have an abundance of talent, right? But when you come in and, you know, you have that ego and you're like, well, you know, I'm 40 years old. I shouldn't roll with that 20-year-old kid. That 20-year-old kid's probably just as scared as you are. That's an excuse. And you can say to him, hey, you know what? Take it easy. You know, let's start here. We can start from a position. We don't have to start standing. And we can just get through it. You know what I mean? And like you said, and some people will stub their toe and they'll be like, I'm done. You know what I mean? I need six weeks off for a broken finger. Really? Right. I just, I, I just don't, I don't know. You guys told me a long time ago, I'm intense. I never thought of myself as intense. And I came home and I asked my wife and I said, am I intense? And she said, yeah, in a way. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's, that's what I was talking about. I was like, you know, you look at Mike Atkins, he can make an excuse. He's too old. Right. And I know we all have a little bit of an ego. I'm not saying that, but I think if you take those excuses and you put them over here and you just show up and you do what you're supposed to do and you do your work, that ego will get checked pretty quick. You know what I mean? It's like Brian or you or me and how we start. If I let you start with a rear naked choke and it's locked all the way in, it's going to be hard to get out of it. But right. if I get out of it nine out of 10 times, I'm pretty, I'm doing pretty good. Um, mm -hmm. Not the name drop. I'm like, I already have a couple of times, but I heard Gary Tonin does that all the time. You know, and he's one of the best grapplers in the world. You know, I heard John Donahue say that, you know, White Dogs will come up to him and say, hey, I did really good against Gary. Well, John's like, well, you know, he's kind of letting you do that. You know what I mean? And he gets out of nine or 10 deep ridiculous chokes and he's one of the best escape people in the world, you know? Yeah. So that's what I said on Instagram. So I just wanted to see if you remembered that. Yeah. I got off track now. Brian, you got anything <laughs> on, on injuries and, and the excuses and all that, you know, your, your type of mentality with all that or experience? Well, to follow up with what Ken was saying about, about you in particular, it's funny because you're like, you're afraid of impact. Uh, impact pain is what it is, yeah. which is funny because that's like the short pain that just kind of goes away. I know. Well, you walk around and carry some like, oh, you carry some burners all the time, freaking straight like muscular injuries and, and things that are just basically out of place, pinched nerves, things like that. You carry those around all the time and, and, and keep moving. Those are way worse, which is, it's, I don't know, it's just funny for me to think like how you keep saying you're, like, you're afraid of like getting struck, but you walk around in like in some pain quite a bit. Yeah. Um, now, I, I, I would just basically say like to going back similar to like along with Kevin said, like, there's a lot of people that come into a, a, a gym or come into the, 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 the sport in particular saying how much they love it and that they're going to be doing it forever. It's the best thing that they've ever come across. And all of those things are true. Um, but the reality is, is like 
you can tell who's going to stay the minute they had that first injury, the first bad one. Uh, it, it's one of those sports where if you get away with ha- without having a bad one, then you're pretty lucky because it, it's, it's going to happen. I mean, it, it, for anybody to say otherwise is just kind of uh, you're, you might not, you're not training. You're not training to get to your best self then is what I would say. Um, you're, you're, if you're training to improve yourself and, and, and try to get to uh, the best version of yourself, you're probably going to get injured doing this. And it's probably going to be one that'll sideline you for a while. So uh, it, it, tell me about how much you love jiu-jitsu. Tell me about how much you love grappling. Tell me how much you love about fighting sports in general the minute you've had that injury. Because that's, those are the guys you know are going to stick around and stay and keep getting good at this. And, uh, yeah, that's just kind of like my thought and philosophy on it. It's like, hey, it's going to happen. Um, you can make the decision. Like your life is – if it's really that meaningful to your life, the whole savage thing, us coming in at 5 a.m., you're going to find a way to make it a part of your life. So if you are going to get injured doing, doing the sport or if you are going to take an injury to it, you're going to find a way to come back from that injury. Or you're going to find the best version of yourself with that injury. Uh, what's the guy? They, they, I know Kevin probably has talked about this or heard about it. The guy who, who quote-unquote, invented half-card it was because he had bad knees. He couldn't wrap his legs around somebody because he blew his knee out and he's in Brazil and, and can't afford a knee surgery to get it repaired. So instead of doing a full close guard, he's doing a half guard. Well, that's a guy that, hey, I can't, surgery wasn't even an option for him. Um, and he had something that was structurally wrong, but he had the choice of, well, I could just pack it up and, hobble around the rest of my life or I could figure out how what's the best version of me with this injury and I think that's really what I think everybody I I mean to me personally that's kind of like my driving philosophy is with all the other stuff I got going on in life what's the best version of me in this that I love because we're all fucked up we all got things that are going on we all got things that are, are are gonna set us back or prevent us from being the absolute tip top perfect shape and perfect version. But what's the best one you can be with all the shit you got going on. Absolutely. Yeah. And something that we all do that I think some people are not willing to do is we all have our own unique sort of balancing nature of, you know, Kevin is into sort of like he's very interested into some of the biohacking stuff and he's experimental with, you know, trying out grounding mats, all these things, you know, you guys, I used to be on it, but the whoop straps with, with the recovery data and, and Brian has his, uh, the, the Kung Fu stuff that he still uses. And I'm always doing something strength coach minded. Um, I, I've always, you know, I've been doing the yoga lately. I've always done something that tries to balance out what I do in the gym. And that is something that if you don't do it, you are going to be even more lucky ha- having gone through a career and not getting seriously injured because if you don't do something to try and balance out what we do on the mats and kind of neutralize and strengthen and harden your body and get the best recovery in some way, we don't all do perfect. You know, not all of us are to the T with diets. Not all of us have the healthiest 
everything, not all of us sleep as much as we should, but we are very focused on the picture outside of our training, which is not something everybody's willing to do. That's one big piece. And then we all love it to the extent where we can't imagine training so hard that we hate it. I don't think, I think our bodies would break before our minds when it comes to tough training. That's something we all can relate to. So something that if anybody's at, you don't have to hate hard training. You can love it to the, I mean, I can't, you, I guess I can't teach it, but you don't have to just listen to people who tell you you're going to hate it. It's tough and it sucks and getting smashed and bottom side control sucks. I mean, you can find ways to not mind. I don't know if it's an ego switch. I don't know if it's comfort and uncomfortable positions, just a perspective, but all of us have that going for us. And the other thing is we all spend time doing something, whether it's our warmups, extracurricular, we take note of things that balance out what you do in the gym. Two big pieces, man. Those are two crucial things. So got to name all my injuries. <laughs> oh yeah. You shit. All your injuries? Yeah. Oh, we didn't do the in injury naming yet. Oh yeah. Oh, say yeah, whatever yeah. you want on that. I forget if, did you, you spoke on it, Kevin, but you didn't really say the injuries too much. I no. don't think. No, let's go through the injuries. Let's get Kevin's first. Yeah. Let's hear it. Mine first. <laughs> so uh, the one I had surgery one is I have, I had my left knee scoped. I've tore cartilage between my ribs. That was probably a bit, that was the most painful one. I wouldn't say it was the baddest one. My elbow has nerve damage in it, which I'm having that looked at now. My elbows don't go straight anymore. Um, Part of the reason that's why I don't wear the gi all the time because if I grip like two days in a row, I literally my hand grips are gone the next day, like the third day. Um, I I probably uh, the cartilage in my rib I fractured a bunch of ribs, uh, but the one that scared me the most wasn't really an injury. I had a cellulitis infection inside of my knee. I don't know if you guys were there when I had that. My knee blew up real big. I think you were Brian, right? No, um, you had the surgery when I had come in, mm -hmm. you had just had the surgery and you had oh. told me about the cellulitis because some other shit going on. Yeah. My knee blew up and there was like all this fluid inside of it. And I went to the doctor the first time and they gave me an IV and it started to go away and I got on the mats too soon and it blew up again. And then they gave me a bunch of shots, wouldn't go away, went back to the doctor and the little doctor's like, I don't know what to do. And I was like, this isn't good. And I said, uh, this is what you're going to do. You're going to give me an IV because that one seemed to work the best. Give me the IV and I'm going to just call out of work for two weeks. And it eventually went away. But that, that one scared me. When a doctor tells you they don't know what to do, it's scary. But that's the majority of my injuries. There's little dinks and tears here. But I, even when I had my knee surgery, I was back. I was on the match grappling in 10 days. It was supposed to be a month, but I came back anyway. <laughs> so... You ever broke a, a bone? A you ever get anything like obviously broken? Besides toes and fingers, no. Okay. When I was sparring, I would break my toes and fingers all the time, and I would just pop them back in and keep going. But nothing besides scar tissue on my face. I have a bunch of stitches in my face from sparring, but nothing. And I only fought as an amateur, but I sparred all the time, and I sparred hard. Like you were saying, you didn't like – you probably wouldn't be my friend. If you spar with me years ago, Turk, <laughs> yeah, it was no. bad. It was <laughs> definitely the wrong way to do it. Um, but that's what I thought it was supposed to be when I trained with pros. That's how they sparred. So 
a lot of those young guys that are fighters now, they came in during that period of my career and they were coming in and I didn't care how new they were. We were fighting. It wasn't even sparring. It was fighting truthfully. And that's, yeah. that's wrong. It was, it was wrong. <laughs> but mm. anyway, that's mine. If you want to go or Brian. Yeah. What was your, yeah, what was your that double rib crack? Not too long ago too. Both, you had both ribs busted too, not too long ago too. Uh, that was, yeah. Well, I, I just had, I had five fractured rims before the Pan Am tournament. And you were, you were training still with five fractured ribs. Yes. You were, playing, you, I, you were taking it easy. You are playing top game only. Um, yes. With five fractured ribs. Still getting ready <laughs> to train for Pan Ams. And you still went <laughs> down there and freaking drew that guy out. Oh, that's yep. crazy. I, I talked to my wife about it. She's like, well, the doctor said it heals in six weeks. I'm like, yeah, but I got to train. This is like the biggest tournament I've ever done. Mm-hmm. I got to still train for it. <laughs> yeah, I can't just sit around and do nothing. That that was, ribs are painful. Like they, they don't take that long. There's nothing you can do for them, but they just hurt, man. It's like, and then like you guys said about having a physical job, I got to go to work. That's kind of that blue to collar mentality. It's just, you put your boots on and you go. It's how it is, you know? So yeah, you go ahead, Brian. You probably had the worst injury out of all. I don't know. Uh, I, just, well, I mean, the, the herniated discs in the back was, was bad. And, and people get them all the time in, in grappling. Uh, I just got the lucky ones that completely like pinched off a nerve. And, and yeah, that was a bad year of my life. I, I went to some dark places that year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I can't complain because I mean, it's, it's back. It's, it's fixed. It, it bothers me to this day, but uh, you, you you exercise around it to get that up or to uh, keep up with uh, what you can possibly do. And again, like you just got to be the best version of yourself. And the only other one that I had that was bad was uh, back in like the old traditional Kung Fu days. Like I completely dislocated my left shoulder um, to the point where that sucker popped and like was like resting down at like my ribs and had that popped it back in, I was basically not moving for three months. But to this day, like my left arm, it is not in the same, anywhere near the same, like, uh, uh, doesn't have the same mobility or strength as the right one at all. I mean, you put me uh, in an Americana, as, as soon as you lock up your wrist, it's an immediate tap. Like, that's an easy one to catch me on because I, uh, there, there's no movement in that shoulder. Yeah. But those are the only real two I had. Cracked um, ribs, injured cartilage, all that stuff. Tell them about your hysterectomy. No, I'm sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pictures of that. I had that joke planned. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, which one am I going to use that on? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, for me, honestly, it's not really worth talking about my injuries because I haven't had anything other than just bringing back some of the back injuries. I had really, really bad um, golfer's elbow in both, uh, sides from the way I was punching for a while, especially sparring, I would kind of keep my elbow low and it would torque it inward, kind of like americana myself. And, uh, I have trained through all of that kind of stuff. My injuries are more internal stuff that like, you can't really see for sure. I've never had anything swell up really crazy. Um, I probably have like normal meniscus tears, 
I know I have nerve issues, but I am that sort of alternative. I know a lot about alternative methods. I, I jokingly say I'm a witch doctor, but I mean, my, my main focus in strength and conditioning is just figuring out how to feel good through any means necessary, you know, outside, within my reach and I can't give myself surgery. So that's kind of been my thing there. Uh, a question we got, uh, we got a, a handful of questions. I'm at least, we're going to at least cover a couple I got asked about gi and no gi. I'll go first on this one, just what we think about the two and differences. I think that it's very, very bad to have a strong opinion. And I usually notice that it's weaker minded people that go so far out of their way to strongly distinguish between hating one versus the other, especially early on. It's a weird thing for somebody to be new and be like, well, I just am more of a no-gi guy or a gi. I don't really like the gi as well. Like it's all just grappling to me. Like what matters more to me is whether or not my opponent is a fucking wrestler, a leg locker, like whether or not they're an arm bar specialist, like those factors matter a whole lot more as to whether or not it's gi and no-gi. Like, of course, a gi guy's guard is going to be hard to pass in ways that, you know, a no-gi guy isn't, and and yeah, the, the grips can get annoying. The, the lapel grips in standing up are a little bit annoying, but at the end of the day, it's not that much of a difference. And I like the, the, what, what you said the other day on behalf of catch wrestling, Kevin, which was, you know, anybody, any rule set. I just don't care. I got asked one time when I was at uh, Delaware helping out, somebody asked me, do you like starting on bottom? Do you like being on top? I'm like, I like any of it. I just like, I just want to grapple. I don't care what we're doing. I don't care if I have to standing pass. I don't care if it's my game, your game, whatever, imposing my will, countering, etc. And for me, being a nogi, being that I mainly train in the nogi, for me, I've just, and, and I don't like what Kevin said about grips. I don't like grabbing sleeve grips when people rip their arms and rip my fingers. So I've just developed the lapel game and it actually, like I, I have a loop choke game and a lapel grip that is as good as a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of black belts I roll with. I have a lapel grip and I, I've, so I've gotten good at a couple things I could probably get a, a gi grip based pass down and like a couple like belt grips and, and the, the pant grip um, that especially when you grab like the waist part of the pant, there's some grips that I think I could get better at uh, stacking people with it. But I think it's bad to have a strong opinion or to really care that much like grappling is grappling, just go out there and smack hands. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't like the whole, you know, gi is gay sort of thing. I don't know. And any, any, what, Brian, what do you got? Um, well, I, I would have to say that gi is gay. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, to, to an extent, I, I prefer just when it comes to just, uh, which do I prefer more? I prefer Nogi for sure. If, if I want to go in and, and just basically like get a good workout in and feel like I'm getting like probably like a more enjoyable experience out of grappling, it's going to be no gi. Um, but I say that uh, and I bitch every time we do gi jujitsu, it's because 
uh, that's probably because of you guys, to be honest. Um, the, the, my game has to change around so much for, for uh, gi jiu-jitsu, probably because I'm used to, like, rolling with you guys uh, and, and dealing with, like, trying to basically work on, on being a little bit quicker with more escapes. So uh, gi jiu-jitsu, it, it's necessary because it, it changes the whole concept of the game to me entirely. Where you said turp, like, it's, it's not – you can't understand how certain people like can feel that the training's like that training's miserable and hard because they've been smashed in side control and they've had this and that. That's just because you're a heavyweight. Yeah. <laughs> I believe it. Because <laughs> yeah. at, at 160 pounds, you son of a bitch, it is sucks being underneath you guys. <laughs> and there was times probably, I mean, all, all last year around this point, I mean, my game probably had not been developed enough. Like, I, I was still feeling it, like, every single session. Every morning session, me, you, and, and Kev would finish. I was freaking – my back was hurting. I was sore. I was tired because – I, I had to ch to change my game so much, and I I have adapted so much of my no gi game to being to able to get away from you guys in particular. It, it's probably been a detriment to my gi game. So eh, I, they're both very important. They're both good, and I would not want to like basically say one's better than the other because they both offer uh, again the best way to improve yourself is in a different version. Yeah. Kevin, my turn. Yes. Uh oh, here we go. Mm -hmm. Start saying some controversial stuff. <laughs> yeah, um, my own personal opinion. If I look at my own game, there's actually parts of my game that are better in the gi than no gi. I've always done no gi more, and I also used to teach no gi on Friday nights all the time. So I, I kind of, and plus, I believe it or not, I, I started leg locks really early, and back, and they were only allowed at no gi. The other thing is, like we were talking about tournaments before. You would go to a Naga and they'll tell you you're going to go at one and you go at 7.30. And that was just your no-gi division. And then like one time my gi division started at 11. So I got into where I just started doing no-gi more. I don't, I think there's benefits to both of them. However, I think as time goes on and jujitsu gets more popular, I, I don't think you're going to see as much people who are gold medals go get uh, win in the, at a high level in, in gi and no gi. And I, I, I kind of agree with Gordon Ryan a little bit. I think the thing that keeps the gi alive is the belt system because everybody wants to get a belt. But I think that eventually those things are going to start to separate. I mean, I can already see it on the East Coast in the Northeast. There's certain schools that are more no gi oriented and there's more schools, there are certain schools that are more gi oriented. I mean, you can see it just in our area. On top of that, there's more money in no-gi, and no-gi is more popular right now. That's not exactly my opinion. I, I still, you know, if we go to a gym and they do more gi, I'll wear my gi. I, I'm not against it. And kind of like Turp, my game doesn't change a whole lot. I mean, that's hard to believe for somebody that's only 155 pounds, but hey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kilos. But no, my, my game doesn't change a whole lot. Even though I use mostly no gi grips, I do grip the gi sometimes, and like I said, it just it just kills my elbows and my grips. And like the next day, I, I can't do a push up because I've just because of the nerve damage I have in my elbows. So yeah. I've always got it. Plus, no gi is more convenient. You know what I mean? So, but like you said, 
I totally agree with the, anybody in, from catch wrestling, you know, that was kind of my, my start um, in a little, in a way. And that's what them guys said. It was anybody, any, anytime, any place. Now they would fight over the rules a little bit. Yeah. But a lot of times the, the catch wrestlers would take on whoever, you know, the term no holds barred comes from catch wrestling. So, you know, I, I, if you enjoy it and it helps you get in shape and it helps you accomplish your goals, do which one you like. That's my opinion to whoever asked the question. You know what I mean? It, it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah. Stop caring about what other people think. I know there's a lot of stuff about jujitsu on the internet. Some of it's good stuff. A lot of it's just shit, in my opinion, for someone that's been around for 14 years. Um, don't take it as gospel. It's not. <laughs> you know what I mean? But if you like gi, do gi. If you like no gi, do no gi. As long as it helps you accomplish your goals. That's my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And, and two important things just to note real quick is like you mentioned, uh, Gordon Ryan, he's a good example. When people say, yeah, gi, does gi improve your nogi game? I mean, sure. It's pretty damned similar. If anything can improve your jujitsu, right. uh, doing jujitsu in a different pair of clothings can improve it, but is it necessary? That's the ultimate question. And the answer is absolutely not because the best nogi guys in the world do not train in the gi period. It can teach you lessons. Swinging two bats at once can teach you important lessons about swinging one bat at a time. You know, there's all sorts of things that can help, but, but, but ultimately if you're, whatever you're going to train in, whatever you're going to do, that is the only thing you really have to do. And, and I bring this up, especially people early on, like, are you at a school that trains gi? If the answer is yes, do you want to limit your training times schedules and partners to people who only train in nogi and we go to some open mats where it's split like there's an open mat some people are wearing a gi some people are wearing a nogi well i'm just gonna wear the gi pants have a rash guard on and have my gi right there because i'm training with any motherfucker that wants to smack my hand and train with me i'm looking at the highest ranked people and i'll be i'll be goddamned if i show up to a mat and i and i skip out rolling with the best guys in the room because they're wearing a gi and i'm wearing no gi uh-uh no way and you know, and, and, and something just to explain that sort of attitude of that, like anybody, anywhere, anytime, whatever, no excuses sort of attitude. It's like, I can't tell you how many times and, and, and Kevin can attest when we've been, been around mats and you hear it sometimes at our own gym, but, but, you know, sometimes we go places, especially when you're a visitor and you do well. And people will be like, man, I'm just so tired. I'm having an off day. And it's like, bro, you don't know me from Adam. You don't know this dynamic. Like, like I, you're tired. We trained at 5 a.m. this morning. Then we went out and, and worked all damn day long. We're nursing injuries we're not telling you about. And we're whooping your ass. So I don't want to hear this. I'm tired because I was up late last night. Like, you don't even know. So if we were both fresh, this would be even worse, probably. Um, just some funny little things to note that I thought of there. Uh, do you have anything else to say on that before we move on? Good. I'm, All right, I'm cool. Good. I'm good, yeah. I'm going to pull up another uh, message. This is, uh, let, let me scroll back in here. Um, he had somebody, that this guy, oh, tips for beginners a talk on training frequency. Um, I'll, I'll real quick give you, you my thing on this training frequency. I think once you learn the ability to have a baseline volume zero pace, meaning 
somebody who's, who runs 5Ks can't run a marathon, but you want to learn your marathon pace. You want to learn how to dial it back. So if you want to train, you should be able to train to some capacity. That is part of the growing pains of white belt. They're, they're resistive. They're tense in ways that may be overtraining. They can't stay on the healthy side of their threshold. And maybe they need to like work into a systematic approach. Maybe it's not like them to kind of flourish in the gray area, but I'm pretty good, especially now at, if I want to train, I can train. I'm in control of my output. Now I'm a strong heavyweight. So I can literally go out there and train two hours and, and, and keep my heart rate at like, you know, 120 tops and just chill. I might not win every round, but, but I can have the ability to just go out there and sort of that be water, just be as flowy as possible. It's not an agreed flow role, but I don't have to, I'm in control of my own output. And if I'm going to get tapped three times in a round, that's the way it's going to be because I'm not willing to work harder than I think is a healthy amount. I'd rather do quantity instead of like, like intensity sometimes. So sometimes I like doing the marathon pace and trying to be calm. As a matter of fact, Sean Doherty mentioned training calm and not getting into that adrenaline, high octane. It's a good learning tool. Um, so I like doing that. Um, let's cover the, the training frequency and then let's circle back for any tips for beginners. So how do you think about the frequency guys, Brian first, I guess. Yeah, we'll do that. Uh, as much as you can do, it's just as simple as that. If if you can train five days a week, six days a week, and your body lets you do it, then that's as much as you should be training. If you can get eight or nine session, uh, sessions in, then that's what you should be doing. If that's what you really want, and that's the best way you're going to progress, is, is training to the fullest amount that you possibly can train. It's just as simple as that. In terms of frequency, goes like if you feel like at that – if you feel like at four times a week you're you're maxed out and you can't get anything out of it, then that's where you should stop. You should you should continue to to work towards that four times a week because if you're not getting anything out of day five, then use that time to recover. I don't know. That's kind of where do as much as you can. Yeah. But, Kevin. For before I answer that, um, I really like that Sean thing when he was talking about the flow kind of not really flow. I don't like to say that, but not getting your heart rate way up. I, I do do that sometimes too. Um, frequency for a beginner. So with this question, I have to know the person truthfully to answer it the way I would like to depends on the person. If he's a wrestler and he's you know pretty athletic as much as he can, you know, but the other thing we have to look at is if you're training competition pace, seven times a week, you're going to burn out unless you start saucing up. <laughs> that could change. Yeah. But it depends on what you're doing and how you're trying to learn. And, and as long as it's not, I, what I've seen with a lot of beginners that get hurt, not, not like a, a off the wall injury. You know, we talked about GPP, general physical preparedness, and they come in and they just go as hard. That's when an injury is going to happen. In my opinion, from what I've seen over the years. Um, so, you know, if you can only come to twice a week, just try to be consistent. I, I see the more problem is not just in coming in two times a week. It's when you, when I walk through the door, you, in my opinion, and I know it's hard for a beginner because they don't know a whole lot. I, I was talking to somebody the other day. I, I have an idea of what I want to do. Right. 
what I'm, if I want to do five rounds and I'm maybe today it's to escape something now that's down the road. But I think, you know, be consistent is really important. If you come in two times a week for two months, it's going to add up to whereas I see a lot of people they'll come in seven times a week or six times a week, they'll go as hard as they can. And in a month they're burnt out, they're done. You know what I mean? So a lot of people out there, I don't know how true it is. They say the magic number is four times a week. Everybody can't do that. Just, just try to be consistent until you build that up. And you're going to gas out at first because <clears throat> I'm not saying it's wrong to use strength or strength isn't important, but you're going to use strength at the wrong times. So you're going to gas out, especially as a beginner. We, we all do it. I, I still do it sometimes. You know what I mean? So just do what you can do. You'll know if you're overdoing it. You know what I mean? And a lot of it depends on your partners too. I mean, if you're going hard, it's comp, you know, and everybody's going as hard as they possibly can all the time. That's going to be hard to make it every day. You know, my thing is just a steady pace over time. And then once you've been training for a little while, if you want to up it, up it, you know, but on the other side of that, I don't want to tell you to not work. Sometimes we say things like that and people think, you know, let's, let's not work as hard. That's not what I mean. You know, just whatever you can do in that amount of time without exerting yourself and making it, if, if you're having fun, it'll, it'll be great. That's the big key, man. You know, come in and have fun. Um, still train hard. I still, you know, still have things you want to accomplish, but what I've seen in, in the past is a new person will come in, they'll train all the time and then they're gone in two months. Yeah. Instead of just, it, it's, you know, what's that saying? It's a marathon, not a sprint. You know what I mean? That's my opinion. Um, that's what I think. So that's on training time. There was another part to this question too, right? Yeah. We'll, 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 we'll circle back to that now. Okay. Um, all right. Go ahead. Yeah, no, um, I think that, yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. It's a gray area, man. I mean, it, it, there might be yeah. certain people you want to avoid when you're super tired, or you might not have to, you might have to tell a couple of people you don't want to get in that habit. And then just remember you can, if you can't control the pace of the round and you can't dictate the pace, cause that's a skill that comes over time. It starts with being able to dictate your own pace. That is something you can learn how to do within a few months is to learn how to govern your own output. So I think that's probably a really important skill. Focus on your breathing fully, focus on using as little muscle as possible, and then learn how to add it in when you need to. Um, might be the best way to, to train more frequently uh, if, if that seems like a problem. And yeah, you know, what you eat when you're hungry, and you rest when you're when you feel overtrained. So it's it's more of rest is more of something you do as a result of feeling a certain way. It's not something you can necessarily plan for. There's so much subjectivity, um, stress outside of uh, the gym, your rest, your 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 diet. There's too many factors. Your your biology. Um, he asked for tips for beginners. I always say this. It's like you know, learn the moves that you learn in class but really focus on the things that apply everywhere. You can always improve your ability to breathe. You, you tell wipeouts all the time, dude, you've got to learn how to stop holding your breath. And they're like, I know, I know, it's just hard. It's like, I know it's all hard. That guard pass you learned in class today, that's hard, but you're focusing on that and you're not focusing on your breath and you always need to control your breath. You only have a, a couple opportunities to go for that guard pass. This breathing thing, it's more important whether you believe me or not. And like, like you can always grip fight. 
you know, uh, you can always in every position, there's a grip and hand fight battle, head positioning, controlling your opponent's head, um, weight distribution. You know, I use that role of there's a communal energy between me and you. It can go three directions. It can go to me, it can go to the mat, and it can go to my opponent. As often as possible, I want it on my opponent unless I have a reason to disengage. So like, there's just little laws and little, I mean, they sound conceptual, but these are the fundamentals to me because as a beginner, if you learn how to do these things and you learn these things like escaping with the head on mat principle, um, the structural alignment idea, you know, that these are things that make your game better all over. Learning that one specific guard pass, that one specific sweep, that one specific submission, it is not going to improve your game as drastically as these pieces that work everywhere. So focus on bigger picture stuff would be my main thing. Breathing, hand fighting, weight distribution, base, off balancing. Those are all pretty good core concepts. Brian? Um, it's funny because you, you can kind of, I mean, at least I can. There are certain aspects of uh, training jujitsu like that that kind of stick out. And, and certain concepts that I picked up over the, the past seven and seven, eight years that um, once I picked those up, it immediately changed my game. And probably the, one of the best tips I got was right at the end of blue belt. I had visited the Matt Arroyo's gym down in Tampa. Um, and he basically had talked about, what I was doing because he said he did it too. And that is as a white belt, especially if you're a competitive white belt, do not go into the gym and just try to train with the higher belts because you think that's the only way you're going to get better. Um, and what I mean by that is I, I used to just pick up like as a white belt, I would only try to train roll with blue belts or higher. And I would basically look at like rolling with another uh, white belt is like taking a, a step back from um, trying to reach another level. Uh, the minute he said that, he basically said, uh, you got to not only train with people that are better than you, you got to train pe people that are worse than you because the people that are better than you, you're going to learn how to defend yourself really, really well against them. You're going to start to improve your defense and it's going to get good. Um, and you're going to learn how to slow down a, 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 a match. You're going to learn how to slow them down. But to get really good at offense, you got to train with somebody that's at the same level as you or worse than you because that's when you're going to really start to hone in on how to attack somebody and really start picking people apart. Because the better you go to jiu-jitsu, it's, 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 it's not the one move that – that finishes everything off for you. It's, it's basically that to, to progress with the jujitsu, like you should basically be learning how to set those moves up by doing other things. And the only way you're going to learn a setup is not by just catching it on a whim uh, with somebody who's a higher belt than you that you're rolling with. It's basically like dominating somebody who's not as good as you and figuring out what their reactions are because 
we all have very similar reactions when things aren't going the right way in jujitsu. And that's what you take advantage of. You're taking advantage of that. So that's it. My best advice as a new person coming into jujitsu is you got to vary your training partners and you got to make sure that uh, it's part of an ego thing where, Hey, you're not just trying to roll with the guy that's a lot better than you. So that way, when you get beat, it, it makes you feel better. You got to try and roll with the guy that uh, is just starting out two to three months after you started that you have a little bit of a leg up on and start using that leg up to start figuring out how to use your attacks. Mm. Like it. Kevin. Is it my turn? <laughs> yes. So um, like, like before I'd have to know the person a little bit. I, I don't know if this is along the same lines. Um, what Brian is saying, I, I was taught to, you know, I can't remember who said it to me. He's like, you gotta, you gotta roll with people who are worse than you, the same level as you and better as you. But I said that to somebody a long time ago and they said, well, I'm the worst in the gym. So who am I going to roll with worse than me? I was like, man, well, I'm sure a new person will sign up soon. So, <laughs> but you know, I didn't know how to say, but the thing I see with this question and I, and I'd have to know the person, but I answer this question with a question. Now I don't, I don't answer it necessarily with a technical aspect of it. I basically look at the person and I say, are you interested interested in getting better? Or are you committed to getting better? Because a lot of people want to just get better and they're just interested in it. They're not really committed to it. What are you doing when you walk through that door? What are you working on? Well, I don't know. What did you do in class today? Did you try it when you were rolling? No. What did you do? I kind of just laid there or I just survived, which is a good thing too. That's kind of how I asked that question. Um, that's a question like I have to kind of know the individual to give them a certain answer. You know what I mean? So I, I kind of answer that question in that way now. I don't answer it with, you need to do this technique or that, which I, I'd never probably do that anyway, but that's what I say to them. I'm like, are you committed or are you interested? Do you love it? Or are you just doing it? You know what I mean? Cause you know, a long time ago, I heard a uh, high level grappler say, I just love it more. You know what I mean? What are your goals? You know, what are your goals when you walk through the door? Goals can be mechanical. I know that, but you should still have an idea of what you want to do. You know what I mean? And then as soon as you get something, a lot of times the techniques that'll work for you are the things that you do when you roll, when you're like, Ooh, Hey man, I hit an arm triangle. I'm going to start messing with that. I remember you doing that. Right. Mike, you would say, Ooh, I, I, Ooh, I'm getting good at this. And then you started trying it all over the place and got really good at it. You kind of discovered that somebody may have showed you that technique technique, or you may have saw it, but you kind of did it on your own. Right. So as a coach, I, I don't, I don't want to make a blueprint of who I am. I want to just guide you and find out who you are. But the first thing you got to be committed, you know, and that doesn't mean being in a gym seven days a week. It just means, what are you doing? Take a little time, have an idea of what you want to do. How many rounds do you want to do tonight? But are you really training? Cause I've had people say to me before I train all the time. I'm like, I'm like, no, you sit against the wall all the time. You train three rounds and you sat against the wall for five. What, do, what are you really doing? So I know people know that about me and I get, I get messages about the wall sits, but nobody ever got better sitting against the wall. So which one do you want? But like I said, I'd have to know the person, what their background is, what exactly they're trying to accomplish. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. But that's my answer. Yeah. 
I got to say, just following up, nothing as, like, now that I've started coaching and, and teaching class, nothing drives me more crazy than when you're teaching a technique for the entire class or a certain position, all right? And the minute that class is over, it, it instead of, like, starting in the same position you've been working from, even if it's not the, the technique you've been working on, at least start in the position that you're working from. Uh, in that class, follow up the training and follow up what you're learning with, with that positional stuff. I it just, uh, I don't get that. Yeah. Why, why would you start like, Hey, this entire, this entire class, we're doing half guard and we're going to start, uh, we're going to start standing up or, or on our knees and I'm going to try and take you down and I'm going to do everything I can to work from me being in top side control. No, like you just did an entire round or, or entire class on half guard. Start in half guard. Focus on one thing and go from there. That's the only way you're going to get it. Oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. So the, the only, there's two other questions we'll cover. And uh, that's probably more than a good enough amount of time. But uh, something funny you brought up, it reminded me, somebody asked about how the sport has changed and how we see the future going. I don't have a whole lot to say on that, but it was funny you mentioned the knee thing. That's one thing we got out of the habit of. When I first started training, it was very normal for guys to literally, both of you start on the knees and wrestle on the knees. So I'm not saying there's no benefit to that, but we at least, if, if one guy's kind of on the knees, it's much more of a realistic position. The other guy's playing a guard and you're not on your knees as much as you are maybe playing a pressure position, get your grips. It's, we don't wrestle from the knees anymore. Um, and it just kind of was something that happened over time. And I think that's something that's happened at other gyms more as well. I don't really have much to say on how the sports change. There's always fads. You can watch it. You know that there are people out there, you know, obviously leg lock trends have changed. I don't really know how the sport has changed um, a whole lot other than there are probably people out there who've developed that maybe now nah, I don't even want to say that that's not something from old. No, I don't really know. So, so anything you want to say on how the sports changed since you started and maybe a future sort of perspective, anybody, Brian? No, I mean, it, it, it's, it's as simple as anything. It, the sport's getting better every single day. Like it's jumping leaps and bounds. It's, and I, I'm not good enough. I'm a, fucking 39 year old brown belt that doesn't know shit uh, i'm not gonna i have no idea what's happening in the future like th there's so many yeah. things that this sport is so limitless and that's that's just the fun part of it enjoy it who the hell cares where it's gonna go just grab a hold of it and run with it yeah kevin uh, i can actually talk about this one so the biggest thing that i've seen in the time i've been in jujitsu um for one cross training is a lot more common now it wasn't actually believing even when i started it wasn't that common mm. you, you kind of just didn't do it um you should do it i think um yeah the other thing that i see is when i go to a tournament and i look at the blue belts rolling they know a lot more than what i knew at blue belt 14 years ago because there's just you can get stuff right on i mean i didn't even have a cell phone when i started i'm dating myself a little bit <laughs> but you can get stuff right to your cell phone from a world champion and I walk past the blue belts now and I'm like, Whew, I didn't know that shit when I was there. I, I know I didn't. And you see them doing it. So information is more prevalent. There's more schools. And like Brian said, it's just gotten better, you know, and 
that doesn't mean that you can't get better. I don't want that to sound like that because that's not true, but we can all get better. It's scientifically proven, but I think people get better faster like that. There's that young kid that just, you know, I think he just got his purple belt and he won the trials. That's amazing. You know, I think the first Abu Dhabi I saw, there was no ADC trials and there was nowhere near the amount of competitors that are in it now. I mean, I think there was what, almost 200 people in a couple of divisions. That's unreal. You know what I mean? It didn't used to be like that. And I think the days of guys in their late thirties winning the Abu Dhabi trials and stuff, that's probably done in my opinion. Um, it's too popular. There's too many people that know about it. And that's the biggest thing I've seen, but lower young guys and girls. The other thing, that's another thing. The girls side of it, the women's side is ballooning up. I remember going to Naga worlds, the first one I was talking about and the women's division was over quick because there was only probably 12 women there. Now you go and there's a lot more, I mean, it's still smaller, but it's, it's definitely, I've seen that blow up too. So those two things probably are the most. Yeah. Oh, there's definitely a lot of higher ranked guys at every school too. I mean, you know, there are people, yeah. so many higher, higher colored belts, so many more yep. purple, brown, and black all, all across the board. Um, Absolutely. So the last question, and I'm going to change this a little bit because I don't want it to be specific to me. I got asked by somebody that I don't know very well. They had mentioned that I only, you know, that they only know me through Instagram They've seen me one time at a competition, but, but they don't know me well. And they wanted to know what it was like training with the psychedelic athlete. So I thought maybe a, <laughs> a fun way to close would be to add a little insight. For those of you who don't know, you only see us in the pictures, what it's like training with the other people. So I'll go ahead and I'll just give you a quick little rundown of what it's like rolling with Brian and Kevin, kind of what I've learned over the years. Um, from them and uh just kind of give you a little day in the life of our of our regular so brian is undoubtedly just one of the most driven but not in an in an ego way but just very driven to get to where he's going to keep trying for that pass you cannot break his will we joke and say it's a redheaded thing um <laughs> but he definitely serves the stereotype well, as far as that goes. Uh, I don't know, you know, he, there is a tenacity about him. I remember when we first started 5am, we were always starting on the feet. Me and Kevin get a little warm up round in usually. Brian is just shot out of a damn cannon. I used to tell people it's like, it took some adjusting like, good Lord, you're really in like a fight at like 5.05. Like Brian would roll in, you know, 5.02. And at 5.04, he's having a wrestling match that is just, I'm going to put you on your damn back, motherfucker. Like coming at you. And if you get your takedown, what I love about Brian is we've had a lot of streaks back and forth. See, like I'll get mine on Brian for a week or two. Maybe I'll catch him in some submissions. Maybe I'll, I'll get mine on him. And then he comes back and he schools me for a few weeks and he catches me a bunch. We've always kind of been back and forth with momentum more than anybody else I've ever rolled as far as who's kind of dictating who's in control. And uh, sometimes it balances out, but that kind of I mean, we're all pretty fun. We have fundamental, like, you know, good base, good pressure when we want to, that sort of thing. Um, but Brian's tenacity 
and and that just nonstop kind of methodical pace is uh is very unique and kevin i mean early on it's just like you can't fathom you really can't fathom i mean you, you talk a lot of shit that's one thing to note uh but <laughs> really you really can't fathom ever being good enough to beat you because you're not doing anything that looks overly athletic. You're just kind of, you know how to like sit on somebody and put your arm and your hip in a way where the person just cannot move. It's very uniquely demoralizing. Like there might be somebody out there that can give you a run for their money that will make beating me look harder. Like you make it look easy and you, you really chill like you could sit there you can talk you can do whatever while you beat somebody that's pretty damn good you you could take some a good purple belt and that it's funny because we have these conversations and i'll tell you i think somebody's good somebody gives me a run and you're able to dictate what happens so well that you're like really they give you a problem you're always telling me that i give you more of a problem than people that i tell you give me problems because I just go at the pace of other people. Well, you and I are both static grapplers. We, we, we hang out in a, in a position and really do a lot of little things and slowly work our angles. So, so I've kind of learned that game, but when I'm going against people that I just play second fiddle to their pacing and try to counter them, you know, they, you don't allow them to do that. So you are like me, but you're not as much of a counter guy. You more so dictate and control the pace. You're a bit more of a positional person versus a just straight up submission hunter. Like, like I have been more so over the years, but I'll tell you what's funny is we all have our specific submissions. Like I have the arm triangle, Brian has the guillotine and Kevin has the Kimura. And we have those three submissions and uh, we have a very positional game that seems to funnel into those submissions very well. <laughs> it's so funny. It just switched to, to Brian's camera it's on there. Tag. Yeah, he's probably taking a piss somewhere. <laughs> oh, because his microphone's made. That's no, no, I'm trying to plug my damn earpiece in. Oh, I got you. <laughs> oh, so yeah, that kind of sums up what it's like to train with them. Um, you know, yeah, that and and what's funny is you don't understand what's I develop my game by not being able to do my game to these guys who know my game very well. So the fact that I can't arm triangle you guys, you know, I don't hit it on Brian anymore. The fact that like I'm able to defend maybe even Brian's guillotine better and better, it's like it's actually the inability to pass Kevin's guard and the inability to do things that sort of makes me, makes me uh, better. It's not even my ability to get the finishes. It's my inability to do it against you guys that improves it against other people. So I guess that's what I have to say. What do you think it's like training with us? Brian, are you there by the way? Hold up, I'm here. Can you hear me? Man yeah, down. We'll, we'll let Man Kevin. Down. We'll let Kevin go and then bring it back to you, Brian, if that works. Or actually, you're here. Do you? Want, it doesn't matter who goes next. I don't care. Oh, I'm, what I'm is it? So, my, okay, you go. Ahead. No, no, no. It's all you. All right, Kevin. I'll never you step on the big dog's toes. Hell yeah. No, you go ahead. My, it's just my 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 wife and daughter. My daughter's probably going to barge in on us. You go ahead first. All right, cool. Oh, I got you. Um, what is it like training with the psychedelic athlete and Kevin uh, too? Yeah. But, oh, and Kevin? Yeah, just um, do both of us. Okay, well, I mean, 
<laughs> Turp man, it, it, the the psychedelic athlete has he is the, absolutely the last person I want to be under on this planet. This dude has your pressure is insane. Just the fact of of how you freaking contort and twist things, and the worst part is is like I am so against tap into things like pressure passes and, and pressure uh, submissions. He loves them. He is absolutely <laughs> phenomenal at them. He's getting big heavyweights with them uh, in competition. And uh, there's times where I'll be sitting there letting him just crank away at a scarf choke. And I'm basically like doing every single thing in my willpower to like not tap to it. it, it it's, it, it's just <laughs> – your use of weight and your use of your balance is just phenomenal. So that that's that's all I can basically say is the way that he has uh, you've adapted your game to basically keep that top pressure is just insane. Um, and a lot of it, I think, has to do with just your build and, and how you how you are. But uh, it, again, just your your full awareness of where you position yourself is just another level. And uh, Kevin training with him is it's like training with a post is really what the best way I could describe it. Anytime you try to take him down, it's like running into a freaking rooted tree and you're trying to take down a rooted tree. Anytime he gets on top of you, it's like a freaking anvil's crushing whatever spot it is. Uh, anytime you think like you're, you can settle in a top position with him, he basically feels like it, you roll over and you're, you're, basically going ass over tea kettle with you. It's, it's you're like rolling a freaking uh, a tree trunk. It's just as simple as that. Um, but yeah, that's what I got. Mm. Kevin, my turn now. I yes. appreciate both of you guys for that. So I'm gonna start with you, Brian. So 100% I agree with you, Terp. When Brian will come in at 504. <laughs> And all I saw was this red fireball coming across the room. I was like, oh, my God. How does he go that fucking fit? He doesn't even warm up. He's just like, I'm ready. Let's go. I'm like, fuck. Is he really going that hard already? I'm like, I need to warm up more. And I've kind of gotten like where I'm just mentally prepared for that. But 100% with Brian, when he first started doing that, I was like, shit. Hey, one second. Well, I got to say this. I used to imagine that Brian is on his way to the gym, giving himself a pep talk. He has that long (laughs) drive from, you're going to kill these monkeys. Today's your day. You're going to show them what the fuck. I used to imagine him doing that on the way to the gym. (laughs) The best part part is I'll be driving in and all I'm doing is I'm listening to like a history podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 100%. He would come in and it was just balls to the walls right away. I'm like, even when it was freezing, like it was 32 degrees in the gym one day. He comes in 100 miles an hour. I'm like, holy shit. How does he do that? And I'm like, if I don't warm up right, I start gassing out. I'm like, oh, my God. How's he go so fast? And then he's obviously lighter than me by a little bit, like 10 pounds or so. But anyway, and I'm like, he just don't stop. He keeps coming. I'm like, he's got, Brian, you got unbelievable relentlessness. It's like nonstop. And I'm like, all right, I'm just going to hold him here for a minute. And he's just moving around. And he doesn't stop moving. I'm like, fuck. This is killing me, but it's great. I, I need that, and it was great. But I totally agree with that, Terp. It was like 
I used to tell everybody, man, you come in here at five o'clock in the morning, all you see is this red streak going back and forth. And that's Brian running around. I, I was thinking about <laughs> doing the memes with like the flash moving around. That's Brian moving all over the place. Um, now with Turk or the psychic Doug athlete, it's a party every time. Just letting everybody out there know. Anyway. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> the thing with, with, with Mike, it, you're so creative with your submissions, especially your arm trap. Because there's been times when I'm like, yeah, I'm passing. And I'm like, oh, shit. I'm kind of, he can't get, he can't finish that. There's no way. And then you're like, fuck, I'm starting to fucking pass out. He's got it. <laughs> and so when you did the, the choke from the guard, I, I wasn't really surprised. You know what I mean? Because you're just, uh, the other day you were like, you, did, you didn't get me with it that time, but you were like pulling my foot. And I'm like, the fuck is he doing back there? You know what I mean? And, and you'll figure out a way to make the submission work in an unconventional, unconventional way. I, I would say that's one of your best attributes. Oh my God. I don't yeah. know if you actually practice that, but you, you come up with these, like, like it, as soon as you learn others, like, like your pressure stuff, Brian's talking about, you'll do it in a different way. That's not conventional. You know what I mean? And you'll, you'll get it. And you're like, Oh shit. How did he do that? Like your arm triangle, like, I've hit one arm triangle in competition from the bottom. Terp, you do it like it's nothing all the time. I see you doing it. I'm like, how the fuck does he do that? You know what I mean? <laughs> but, but I think your creativity really, your creativity in your, your grappling game is, is great. That's, you know, that's something, I have it a little bit, but I don't have it like you have it. You have unbelievable creativity with your game. And it's like, like the, I, you, you posted one time, my number one takedown is falling down. And like, you fall on your ass, and next thing I know, you're taking the guy down. I'm like, how do you do that? You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, and I, I see that with your arm triangle and, and all the different things you do, and both of you have done great. I, I think I've known you since the day you started, and you, you guys do a great job. And, you know, everybody that comes through that door, I think one day is going to be my training partner, That's and you guys have become great training partners. That's, you know, I want to surround my people, myself with people like that. That want to train hard, not just train hard because training hard is part of it, and a lot of people train hard, but we need to train to where we get better. And, and I totally see that. But yeah, so but Brian, it's his tenacity. Uh, Terp, it's your your creativity. Your creativity is is awesome. And Brian, it's like this fucking red streak. I'm like, God damn, I'm dying here. <laughs> yeah, but that's yeah. what the I the psych the psychedelic athlete has put me asleep more than anybody else. <laughs> over my career in jiu-jitsu let's I'm like dead let's make sure that's the next piece add that into there because to that creativity point there's been positions that he's put me in. I'm like he's definitely not going to get this and the next thing you know it's the hey man you all right and I'm like yeah I'm all right what the <laughs> oh fuck I went to sleep again god damn it yep. yeah, yeah. it's more often with him I've been put to sleep by like maybe one other person no definitely one other person for sure put me out the psychedelic athletes put me out a lot. And it's all because I've been sitting there. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to be going out for this. This is perfectly. What the fuck just happened? Where, where did I come from? Where'd I go? Awesome. I, I've, I've, like, I'll be past and I'm like, there's no way you can get an arm triangle from right there. And I'm like, ooh, I'm starting to see a tunnel. He's got that. Oh, <laughs> I, I better tap him. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's def- your creativity is off the charts. It's very if, good. if we had that's to pinpoint thing. it to one word, Kevin, you definitely would be alpha then. 
there's creativity, <laughs> there's tenacity, and there's just alpha. You know, like I, I think so. I think even if somebody got the best of you, I just think they would feel like somehow you were still dominating the energy of Psy. Just you always have that that act of like it's not a it's not a front. It's just you're the alpha of most dynamics. You just are. I don't know. It might be a little. You're older. You're you're tough. You know. You're hard nosed, gritty, and and I'm not sure what it is, but I think that's something we anybody can pick up on. What's cool is, it's fun. You know, getting you guys out to different mats too, and being able to just see you roll other people and be like, "Hey, what'd you think of that guy?" I love because I invite so many people in from other gyms. I go to other gyms. I'm always like, "Man, what'd you think of rolling with Brian? What'd you think of rolling with Kevin?" I love like when we went we went to uh, the one open mat together. I brought uh, Brian up to York. Kevin went with me to to Delaware, some other gyms. So it's just cool being able to show off these guys that maybe people have seen in the photos and they get to find out who that training core is because they all know me because I've traveled to a lot of these gyms, but when they come to the gym and they get to, and there are other people from a gym. I always love knowing what people think of Tyler Hyub of, of, uh, you know, vegan Mike. And there's people oh, I love yeah. asking, you know, Louie's one Louie we train with. He's not, he's not method, but he comes. I mean, I love like, what the fuck do you think of Louie dude? Like I love asking <laughs> people, but, but us three, I think it's like a really fun, we're fun people to take to other mats. We're, we're respectful enough. We're usually well-perceived and uh, we don't hurt anybody, but there is like a, you know, you went with something. So that unifies us for sure. Go the ahead. best of, oh, don't, let's not forget about like, when we're talking about Kevin with his, with his alpha, the freaking uh, UFC fighter who will not be named, who taught a leg lock seminar <laughs> and then rolls with Kevin afterwards. And he's a big guy. He's a heavyweight. And then immediately rolls to Kevin after the seminar and turns and looks at the gym owner, Eddie, and is like, who the hell is that guy? Yep. <laughs> after getting after steamrolled by the freaking post, he goes, who the hell was that? Yep. <laughs> uh, that I remember. He, I was a little pissed off. I don't get pissed off a lot, but every once in a while, I was a little pissed off there. But yeah, I was like, all right, that's one of my, 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 you know, I have different goals. And, and one of my goals is like, I'm going to be that old, kind of like a Mike Atkin guy. I'll be in the corner and just minding my own business. And then you roll with me. I want to hear them say, and I've done it about three times. I've heard people say, who in the hell is that guy? And I just walk <laughs> away. That's one of my like jujitsu lifetime goals to, to just be able to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I do it sometimes. Sometimes I don't, but the instance Brian saw, I did it that time. I know I did. I was, yeah. I was, I was, I remember. I was so I was there. Yeah. 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 So cool. Um, I think that's real quick, just to throw it out there. I mean, people who find this different places in the show notes and stuff, just say your uh, Instagram handle while I have you guys on here. I know Kev, you guys say what it is, Uh, Brian. Uh, It's just uh, my last name. First, first name, uh, wonder Brian W U N D E R B R Y A N. Don't follow me. (laughs) <laughs> we all, you're gonna see the same pictures over and over it's exactly right don't follow me there's no fucking point <laughs> uh, my, my instagram is a uh, grappler kjb 1178 i have a facebook too but i'm 
you can look me up. I'm hardly ever on it. I, I have a timer and I'm not on my Facebook. I, I just, I got tired of all the political and bull crap on there. Yeah. Um, so 78. What's that? I said 78. I, <laughs> I thought about taking that out of there. I was like, huh, I'm going to have to change this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but awesome. hey. But next time, we'll have to do it again, man. We'll have to do this yeah. again. I'll tell you a real quick perspective that was crazy. We're talking about age, all this. I mean, for a while, you were the person I would point at and say, you know, you can be a bad motherfucker when you're a little older. Hanging around Mike Atkin, 67 <laughs> years old. I mean, he is yeah. older than you as long as you've been training. So if you started now, you could have the length of career that you've had and wind up, you know, just being Mike Atkins age, that really puts it into perspective. So that's a guy I got to get on Absolutely. the podcast. I don't think, I think the, I think for like the weeks Absolutely. leading up, what's this thing again, we're doing, what's a podcast. You got to explain it to me again. <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> Yo. And for those who don't know, back to like what we started with, that motherfucker at six, seven years old is coming off double knee replacement and is back on the mats already, freaking crushing people. Killer. Yep. He's a killer. Yeah, killer. He's, and he's a tough role. And like I said in that post, I'm, I'm not just saying that to say that. He's a legitimate tough role. You know what I mean? It's like, God, oh, this yeah. freaking guy. I remember the first time I had like a tough role with him and I'm like, I'm going to try this and I'm going to let, and I'm going to basically start. And, and he got on top and then he basically proceeded to pass and went old school wrestling, fucking oil check style. I had three <laughs> fingers up my ass as this old man ground past my guard <laughs> and hooked this shit out of me and crushed me. I'm like, oh my God, what the hell just happened? Yeah. I got crushed and violated all the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I remember oh, the first time I rolled with him, when I was rolling with him, I had him in like the shoulder crunch position. And he looked at me and goes, you're not going to sit me with, I, I've never been submitted with that. And you're not ever going to submit me with it. And I said, well, I'm not really trying to submit you. I'm trying to sweep you. He goes, you're not going to do that either. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. God, my dad gets the shit. He yeah, is. I was like, okay. uh, all right. Well, on that note, uh, thank you guys for being on. I'm going to end this recording in three. Thank you. See you guys.